You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today we're talking about a game that we've talked about so many times this season with a different opponent this time. Pacers, Hawks, Pacers lose a close game again. Stop me if you've heard that before this season. What went right? What went wrong? Why'd they lose? What happened at the end of the game that has people buzzing on the internet? And then some injury stuff to get to with this team that could kind of change the way that they're perceived as they walk through this upcoming home stretch. Let's start with the game. That's what basketball is all about. I hate talking about other stuff first. Pacers lose to the Hawks. Uh, 111-114, losing to the Hawks. Not that surprising, losing to the Hawks the way that they did. A little bit more surprising. Pacers lose by three. And let's talk about a key 11 minutes of this game to me. And that is the 11 minutes that Trey Young did not play for the Hawks. Trey Young plays 37 minutes and six seconds, and he's a plus three. When he sat on the bench for 11 minutes, the Pacers did not outscore the Hawks. They played them to an even draw. It's a very lazy way to start my analysis of this game, but the Pacers just could not take advantage when they had a talent advantage in this game, and it really cost them because the Pacers starting five had some good games. Miles Turner had 17 points on nine shots. Sabonis had 22 points on 10 shots. He had a double-double. Um, Malcolm Brogdon had 27 points on 20 shots. He was 9 of 14 on two-pointers. He was getting to the rim very well. He had nine assists as well. Right, Three key guys had excellent games. Jeremy Lamb was in the rotation because Justin Holiday was out. He had 11 points. Like They had got enough, like they had enough from... Role guys that I always talk about. They don't get the enough production from role players to win key games like this. They actually got it in this game. O'Shea Brissett had eight points. Wanamaker played. We'll get to why later. Had seven points. Like they had enough from those guys, but when they didn't, when Trey was out, the Pacers just didn't have enough punch. They didn't have enough force. And we'll talk a lot about that word later as well to beat the Hawks. And that's a key reason they lost this game because when Trey was in, the Hawks were the more talented team. They showed it. And the Pacers lost. And they really lost this game very early on. Uh, they were down nine early, and uh, that, that killed them. Their first quarter defense was rough. The Hawks scored 38 in the first quarter. And then another key stretch was just uh, before halftime. The Pacers and Hawks were tied very late in the second quarter. The Pacers did a nice job in the second quarter of fighting their way back in making the game interesting. Three minutes and two seconds to go in the second quarter. It's 53-53. to 53. Pacers rolling. And then the Hawks just dominate the close of the half and go to halftime up by eight. They end up winning by three. That three minutes to end the half where the Hawks outscored the Pacers, excuse me, 12-4, uh, changed the whole game. Rick Carlisle saying after the game that that stretch or defining that stretch is a key point for this team where they stopped playing with force and energy and, and the required force and energy they needed to win this game because Pacers had a lovely third quarter. They were winning at the end of the third and a not so great but good enough fourth quarter to win an NBA game if they didn't shoot themselves in the foot. You know, they only lost the fourth by four. If they didn't completely blow the end of that second quarter, they'd have been right in this game. So lots of game flow stuff you can go through. Losing the non-tray minutes, blowing it at the end of the first half. Uh, a lot of stuff you can go to in a game like this happens because they got the performances they needed to win, really. But they also had a chance to win it at the end, and this team continues to struggle in close games. And this one was a little different. We're going to – I mean, this the, the story of this game will not end today. Let's say that. 
The Pacers go, blow their lead in the fourth. They go down by six with 525 to go and then do a pretty good job the rest of the game of climbing back into it. They get it down to two. The Hawks go on a little run again. The Pacers got it back down to three. Hawks go up five again. Pacers chip at it again. And they're down 112-108, and Jeremy Lamb hits a huge three with 30 seconds on the clock. So now that, that's enough time that the Pacers can defend and get the last shot. And they defended very well. They stole the ball from Trae Young. Brogdon gets a steal. Pacers are down one with the ball. Less than 10 seconds left on the fast break. Chris Duarte charging in for what could be a game-winning layup. And he missed it. He missed it short. Uh, and the replay we had in the arena, it looked like we can only select the upper bodies, the players. So it looked like Kevin Herter missed Duarte's arm. And Duarte just kind of crocodile arm, limps the layup, and the Pacers lose. And then they showed the Bally Sports replay. I, I saw it on Twitter on my phone. And Kevin Herter is yanking hard. Hard downward on Chris Duarte's jersey uh, on that play. So clear foul on the replay. Clear foul. I am very rarely, those who know me and follow me and have listened to the show for a while, very rarely do I call out a refereeing moment. Very clear missed foul at the end of the game. Uh, no call. Trey Young, Carlisle heated in the moment. Uh, Trey hits two free throws on the other end. And then Brogdon, centimeters from hitting. Like, remember Gordon Hayward's buzzer beater for Butler against Duke in the tournament? It looked exactly like that. Centimeters from tying it up on a half quarter at the buzzer just rooms out. So heartbreaking way to lose and a horrible, horrible way. If you're the Pacers for this game to end, Chris Duarte turns to Instagram after the game uh, and a lot of cuss words in his story. This, uh, this poop is <laughs> unacceptable. F and BS. We only going to get better from here on out. Learn from a kid. And he deleted that story from the time I saw someone screenshot it to the time I went to check if it was still up. So, uh, he, he was pretty annoyed about the foul call, obviously. He, he definitely got fouled. Like, I am normally – like, I actually didn't see the Avery Bradley one, even though the, the NBA acknowledged that Avery Bradley fouled Duarte at the end of the Lakers game. But this one, even I have to admit, yes, uh, there was a foul there. So, terrible ending for the Pacers. And But the story of the end of the game, too, beyond that, is they, they couldn't defend again when it when it came time to, to clutch up on defense, right? Like – with 5.50 to go, the Hawks had 102, and the Hawks finished with 114. That means they were still scoring every minute, basically, the rest of the way. Like, they, the, the Pacers could not get the stops they needed to win this game. From 5.50 on, the Pacers were tied with the Hawks. They needed to get more stops uh, if they wanted to win, and, you know, that they, they just let in too many buckets. Uh, you know, Clint Capella hit. Here's the thing. They had one good defensive possession where Clint Capella hit just a very tough hook shot at the end of a shot clock down the stretch of the game. But then Kevin Herter got a free look at a pull-up. Uh, Clint Capella got a tip dunk on an offensive rebound after they stopped Trey Young. Uh, but both Miles Turner and Brogdon went for the ball, right? Very big mental error. And Clint Capella had a wide-open offensive rebound to score. You know, there's just a lot of stuff that at the end of the game, just you go, ugh, you know, you got to you gotta get that right if you want to win. So their defense was just not good enough down the stretch. And we will talk about their clutch play and their defense in clutch play in the second segment here. But there were a lot of small moments in this game that you could identify and say, yeah, that is why the Pacers lost. This this two-section play, or these this two-play section where they forgot how to defend at the end, or this moment where Duarte was fouled and it was uncalled, or this stretch before the half where they stunk it up this way, or, or these minutes when Trae Young was on the bench. There are a lot of those little things that, one, one by one, probably not the end of the world, but when they all happen in the same game against a good Hawks team, they're insurmountable ways to, to win a game. So even though the Pacers had this an opportunity at the end of the game to win it taken away from them, uh, they still should have, if you take away the other small things, they still should have been able to win this game anyway, and they kind of shot themselves in the foot on the way to another close loss. And 
This team just has been unable for two seasons now, two seasons ago under McMillan, 1920, this did not happen nearly as much. In fact, they were known for strong effort for the whole game. The last two seasons, they have just been terrible about every game. They have a couple stretches where they just they just get completely annihilated by the other team in, in such a short span. Like middle of the third, Hawks took their lead from 5 to 11 extremely easily. I talked about before halftime, they get it from 0 to 8 in a couple minutes. Right end of the first quarter did not go well. Uh, middle of the fourth quarter, Hawks were on a big run too. Like there are all these times, this game had more than normal, but there are all these times where the, it's just, where what is going on? Why are the Pacers all of a sudden out of nowhere playing so much worse? And it's very perplexing the way that this team has played this season. It's very perplexing that they can get some comfortable wins against excellent teams and then against teams around their level or worse teams. They just, they just cannot focus and put a forceful performance together for a whole game. And that was a very interesting thing that happened at the end of this game. Usually, I would say... You know, by, from the buzzer of the horn, this is stuff that you guys don't really care about, but it does tell the story of this game. From the buzzer, the horn, the game ends, to Rick Carlisle speaking to the media. He's usually first followed by players. There's about a 15-minute gap, maybe 10 minutes. Depends on what happens in the game, right? There's a gap. Uh, it's probably closer to 10 minutes. This game, it was like 35 to 40 minutes. It was super long. Uh, I I was texting someone after the game, and then I checked, and I was like, wow, it's been like 30 minutes. He hasn't come out yet. So Rick finally comes out. Uh, and he says that the Pacers watched the entire first half in the locker room as a team after the game, directly after the game in the locker room. And that's why he was delayed in getting back to the stand after the game. Uh, so that was a big factor uh, in that delay. But the reason that's kind of the story of the game here is like that that changed the whole complexion. Of, you know, that changed the whole complexion of how I viewed that game because – you know, he was talking about Rick was about how they didn't play with force in the first half, and 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 Brogdon said when he took the stand that playing with force to him was all about you know effort and things that they they have not perfectly done. I actually tweeted the the quote from Brogdon. He said they need to be more deliberate, more focused, and more energy. And they did not have that in the first half. That's why they let up on that run uh, at the end of the half. That's why they started slow against a team that they think they're better than. And you know, it's very interesting that to hear them talk about how they didn't play with force and. You, you, you go back to the Hornets game two weeks ago on Friday where Rick Carlisle benches the starters because the effort's not good enough. And when he was talking about playing with force, he kept slowly and slowly drifting what he was saying when he, he would stop saying force and he started to say things like effort and playing hard. And I think that's kind of what he means is sometimes their effort just wanes in a way that is is so weird. And that can be what leads to a team having these inconsistent stretches where they give up big runs to their team. So, very painful loss for this team. Another close one. Their eighth loss by five or by less than five this season. Just brutal, brutal stuff from the Pacers. So let's talk about what's going on in the clutch uh, because it, it's killing this team. It's 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 really ridiculous how terrible they've been when the game was on the line. But first, let's take a little break and talk about two great groups of people. First up, the good folks over at Shopify because Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. In case you don't know, Shopify is a complete commerce platform that lets you start, grow, and manage a business. Their subscription-based software allows anyone to set up an online store and sell their products, and their store owners can also sell in physical locations using Shopify's point-of-sale app and accompanying hardware. They give entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses, so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere. Synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility, and Shopify helps make your entrepreneurial dreams come true. Shopify has the tools and resources to make it easy for any business to succeed. From down the street to around the globe, they power over 1.7 million 
businesses. It allows you to gain insights as you grow uh, with detailed reporting and conversion rates, profit margins, and stuff like that. So go to Shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial to get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to Shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA right now, Shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA. Let's also quickly talk about Truebill because a lot of free trials renew without your consent. It's a business scam out to get you. Do not let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill and take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it simple. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel them for you. They have a Truebill concierge that can help you cancel unwanted subscriptions whenever you want so you don't have to. They have over 2 million users. I've helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today. Wowee. Uh, another close loss for this Pacers team. That is eight this season by less than five points. Which is just painful. It's almost more painful. Like if they were just losing by eight every game, you know, you go, oh, they, they got outclassed by a better team, whatever. They need to get better at this, this, and this. But when they lose close so much, one, it's more frustrating for players. It's more frustrating for fans. And it makes you kind of, it makes you almost too laser focused on one part of the game, which is the end. That said, I am going to talk about the end of games because they've been horrible at them. I mean, like you, you can flip the script and say this. There are tons of moments every game where the game changes. And it's not just the last five minutes where the Pacers are losing these games. And I would agree with that statement. I would also say that, you know, if they were better at the beginning of the game, they wouldn't be in these clutch situations at all. Or they wouldn't need to be in a tight game that they lose by a few points. Like, that's all true. They definitely need to start better, too. I'm focusing on the clutch, though, because it has been terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So let's talk about the Pacers' clutch stats. I think I've done this on the show before. Since then, it has gotten... Way worse. And they have now, again, lost eight times by less than five points a season. By the way, that's more than last year. They only did it six times all season last year in all 72 games. It's been crazy how terrible they've been in these close games. So, clutch stats defined by NBA.com. Last five minutes of an NBA game that is within five points. They're not perfect for a lot of reasons I can get into. If you really want to know, DM me at TEastNBA. Pacers net rating in clutch situations this year. By the way, first of all, they've played in 15 games that feature clutch situations. That is tied for the most in the league with the Lakers. The Lakers net rating in the clutch in those 15 games, they are 9-6, and six, is .9. The Pacers are 3-12 and 12 in those games with a net rating of minus 22 in the clutch. That is 27th in the NBA, only ahead of Minnesota, who beat them in a clutch game, Miami, who almost beat them in a clutch game, though it's overtime, and the Pelicans, who the Pacers avoided a clutch situation with. So... They have been awful, awful, awful at the end of games. So I'll dissect why in a second. But one thing I keep hearing is about the roster and how the roster stinks in end-of-game situations. And I can somewhat agree. Since trading Depot last season, they have not had that closer or that guy that's a big threat at the end of games or someone you have a ton of confidence in. Duarte's hit some nice shots, certainly. I would not view him as a closer at this point in time. And it's, it, it's a true thing because even last year, the Pacers were 16th in clutch net rating last year. They went 20 and 20 in clutch situations last year, right? So that they're still slightly below average last year, but like competent 500 team. They went half the games in the clutch. That makes sense. That makes sense. Last year, they, it was the same team, 
and they were still pretty good in clutch situations. So yes, I understand that having a closer, but they were still good in these moments last year. What is the difference? So last year, if you sort every team in the NBA, the 2020-21 season, Nate Bjorkman's head coach, by offensive rating in the clutch, the Pacers are 28th at 99.4. This season, if you do the same thing, sort every team in the NBA, offensive rating in the clutch, the Pacers are 24th at 92.5. So technically the number is lower. The whole league's offensive ratings are down this year. So they are 24th. Terrible on offense both years. Clearly a humongous problem. They don't have this closer who can score for them when it matters, right? When they had Vic in his peak two seasons or three seasons ago, 2017, 18, that's four seasons ago. My gosh, time flies. Like they could count on him in the clutch. He could set up stuff for himself or other guys. That was when they were good in the clutch. They won a ton of close games that year. They were awesome. They were awesome in those moments. Since then, basically, they have not had that that kind of guy. They relied on Bojan for a while. He couldn't really do it. Even a hint of Darren Collison in there. Brogdon has some good clutch moments, which kind of buoyed them last year. But in general, you know, they had one Sabonis game winner against the Celtics last year, and uh, Miles Turner had a game winning three in Chicago uh, two seasons ago, and you know, the, the uh, Miles had the game tying three against New Orleans last year. Like there are a few standout moments from the guys on the team right now, especially Brogdon. I think Brogdon is actually a pretty clutch player, um, but they don't have enough opportunities, and they don't have enough. They're just not. They're not. They don't have the offensive firepower in the clutch, and that's a two-year running problem. The difference between last year's team that was competent in the clutch again and went twenty and twenty, and this year's team that is three and twelve is defense. And I, so I've been asking some players and Rick Carlisle, you know, after games, hey, what's going on in these close games? Why can't you guys win? And some of it, some of the times they're saying execution. Sometimes they're talking about you know balls, whatever. Several things have not gone their way. Brogdon was the one guy who said, yeah, our defense isn't good enough. We are not getting enough stops in the clutch. Last year's team, again, very similar roster, extremely similar, was sixth in the NBA in clutch defense, 102.2. They played great defense when the game mattered. And that, again, very similar team to the one they have this year. This year's team in clutch defense is 22nd, 114.5 defensive rating in the clutch. So to that is kind of where I view the crux of their problems in clutch situations is they can't stop anybody when these games get like this. And some of that is they turn the ball over too much at the end of these games, right? That's killing them. They're allowing other teams to run uh, and that, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, some of it's just that, that we've seen all season. They've had a turnover issue. They're not like terrible at it in the clutch, but it's certainly a problem for them. They also miss a lot of shots in the clutch and, and that can allow the other team to get out and transition as well, right? They have the fifth lowest effective field goal percentage in clutch moments. Like that's allowing the other team to run on misses uh, fifth worst true shooting percentage as well. But, Really, it's just that their defense isn't good enough. They're not getting stops when they have to get stops to win a game or set themselves up to win a game. Right Against the Kings, the one game that they really did well that finished close. Like they've had some clutch. They've, they have three clutch wins, but that's because they have the Miami game uh, where they end up winning by like 11 in overtime. That counts as a clutch game. So it doesn't look close on the final score. And there's one other one where they had clutch time and ended up rolling away with it. Uh, but the Kings game is the one they won that ended close. What happened into the Kings game that allowed them to win? They got a ton of stops in a row. They were able to slow down and stop Sacramento when it mattered. And in fact, Halliburton had a pretty good look to tie it at the end. Their defense wasn't even that awesome in that game too. So when I kind of look at this team's clutch issues, the first one I say is the same thing that everybody said because this is a two years running problem. They do not have a closer, which means they have to either really slow the game down to try to get an ISO look so they don't turn it over as much. And they, they actually are better at turnovers in the clutch than they are during the course of the whole game. But the other team still gets runouts on some turnovers and misses. 
So that they actually do an okay job keeping the turnovers down, but they still have some. But they do ISO to avoid that or you know, just simple pick and roll stuff. They don't give it to Sabonis as much in the clutch. I don't have stats for that. I should have pulled them up, but I've watched the games. I can tell you. Um, and they can't score. They don't have a closer. So they, they aren't running the offense in the same way, and their offensive rating stinks. That's a two-year's running problem. But they got over it last year by defending very well when the game mattered. They executed extremely well, even despite Bjorkren Ball not being awesome on defense they defended well in the clutch and they are not doing that at all this year at all they have to defend better in the clutch if they want to be a better team and stop losing these close games it's been completely miserable for everyone on the team i mean i it's so frustrating for them to lose they know why it's happening and they have to be better defending when these games get close because again they've already lost more games by by a margin of, of four or less than last year like they, they just cannot get it done in these close games and there is some truth to the fact that Clutch moments like that have a luck element to them because it's such a small sample size. But there's a point where it stops becoming luck, and it's very obvious that they have passed that point of where there's something going on, and they have to, have to, have to get better at defending. And Carlisle's not blameless, right? Getting the right lineup in the game is certainly important. The right strategy is certainly important, right? They had no backup plan in Minnesota when Brogdon's initial action got shut down. They had nothing else backup plan-wise. They got a bad shot at the end of that possession, right? That, that kind of stuff can't happen. Sometimes Miles Turner comes in a little late. Like that's a big sticking point for fans is how late he comes in sometimes in clutch situations or Savonis even not being in the game or whoever, whatever. Mostly Turner is the guy I see the most named, but you could go with a number of guys and say, why weren't they in the game sooner or not in the game sooner, whatever. So there, everyone needs to be better on in the whole organization in clutch moments. But I think specifically defensively is where they need to try to take the step forward to go from Losing some of these, all of these close games to winning at least some of them because at nine and fifteen, look, I get it. Like close games are are like you'll lose some close games every season. They lost twenty games in the clutch last year. You know, I, I get it. It's going to happen. But I mean, when when you're nine and fifteen, it even if you're close to being a lot better, it doesn't matter. You're nine and fifteen. You deserve to be nine and fifteen. And if they had just closed out one or two more of these games and they were eleven and thirteen. You'd have a lot more confidence in them to grow as a team this year. But where they are right now, it's a, it's a little, and by a little, I mean a lot harder to have confidence because they've shown no ability to close a game or to play a full 48-minute game. They've only done it a few times. I would say New Orleans, Chicago, and Utah, their three best performances. I might be missing one. Toronto last week. Those kind of games, they look awesome the whole time. And it always just makes me wonder, as I've said on the show, why can't they do that every game? Why can't they do it? And they continue to not do it every game. And now they're 9-15 and 15 with another close loss. So there was another factor of this game that kind of swayed things. They were without two rot- new rotation players. Uh, and there are some injury stuff going on with this team that are new and kind of impacts the way that their rotation will be playing out going forward. So let's take one more break and talk about that and how the team might look for the rest of this homestand. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at BetOnline.ag who have you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football season continues the march to the playoffs, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the sports and football action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On, all one word. When you sign up, you'll receive that bonus. They've got basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of the amazing offers they have available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online. Where the game starts. I made it 20-something minutes into this podcast and haven't even mentioned another key factor in a three-point loss 
to a good Eastern Conference team. And that is that two key rotation players who they've had this season, not just TJ Warren, key guys they've had this season did not play. One is Justin Holiday, the other is TJ McConnell. Uh, Justin Holiday, uh, according to the Indy Star, uh, he, so first of all, he's in health and safety protocols. Rick Carlisle said that became official, and he figured that out on Tuesday. Indy Star, James Boyd report is that he did, in fact, test positive for COVID-19, which means 10 days with no Justin Holiday. That's why it's important to me and why I asked Rick, when did you specifically hear about this? When did this start? So that was Tuesday, the 30th of November. Uh, so Justin Holiday is now out for 10 days. He cannot play for 10 days. Uh, as he has to you know, go through the, the health and safety protocol process for the Pacers. This was his first game not playing. Uh, but in the next 10 days, I think they have four games. They just had one against Atlanta. Then they play Miami Friday, then a two-day gap. Then Washington on December 6th and New York on December 8th. And that game on the 8th will be uh, eight days after. And then next Friday, which is basically the exact 10 days after they play Dallas, he might be able to be ready to go for that Dallas game, if he's immediately ready to play again, we will see if not a more reasonable expectation could be, you know, after that Dallas game, they play golden state on December 13th. Perhaps that could be when he returns, Um, but he's for sure missing the next four, maybe the next five games. No, Justin holiday, the iron man streak is over. He played in over 250 straight games for this Pacers franchise. He hasn't missed a game since the bulls played benched him to tank, right? He's been extremely healthy his whole career, but now he's got COVID. He can't play. He'll be away from the team for that 10 days as well, which is why you have to reacclimate. Maybe it's hard to just immediately insert him in to a team, you know, after that. So in the meantime, what's going to happen? You know, Justin Holiday's played every game for the Pacers, not just this season, but for forever, right? He's always been a part of this team's rotation as we've considered what the Pacers can be. And it really sucks they didn't have him in this game. Like having a guy who can shoot threes a little and play some defense would have been pretty helpful against a smaller-ish Hawks team that, you know, shot extremely well from three in the first half. They were 10 for 15 from deep at halftime. Pacers, meanwhile, were 10 for 33 from deep. I mean, if they had slightly better shooting, perhaps this game swings a little a little more. So it would have been nice to have him this game. will be always nice to have a, a decent 3 and D player in your lineup. They don't have him. Duarte started in his place. That seemed like the no-brainer move because Miles Turner did return from the illness that kept him out Monday in Minnesota. Um, so that's not really a big change. Duarte has started with this exact group a few times this season. The other, The bigger change was... With the second unit, they had to go with Jeremy Lamb because they needed another guard punch with Duarte now in the starting five. Uh, Lamb's always been kind of just chilling right on the fringe of the rotation. He's out when they have, you know, 10 of their normal 11 guys they would like to play in. But uh, Lamb up to uh, 17 of their 24 games played now. Uh, so he usually gets in. He's only had a straight stretch of two straight games where he didn't play all season. Um, so he is, ri- is well, when he wasn't injured, at least, like when he was healthy. So. He played fine in this game. Uh, obviously, a pretty inconsistent player. Pretty poor defense. Like, right when he checked in, he looked awful. He completely bricked an elbow jumper, which is so rare for him, and uh, got completely beat by Kevin Herter to the basket twice, but com- really picked it up after that, hit the biggest shot of the game at the end with a three, had some nice offensive moments just in general, five rebounds. Like, he played fine after his very poor start, um, but they might need him during the stretch to continue to be an offensive force that they need. And I remember talking about last week, if you recall, him playing potentially over Keelan Martin, who had a nice game right after I said that against uh, the Raptors. But Keelan Martin uh, continues to struggle to shoot the ball after a nice start to the season. He was one for four in this game. So more Lamb could be helpful in balancing out the minutes on those two guys. 
uh, spots in the rotation. But certainly losing Justin Holiday and having Duarte start, maybe you call that a net even in terms of impacts just because Duarte has already kind of figured out what he can do, although the veteran is usually the better player uh, since Duarte is a rookie and has some warts. But the big jump is now instead of Justin Holiday in your rotation, you're playing Jeremy Lamb more. And, and Lamb was fine in this game specifically, but he is obviously you know had has had struggles defending, not a good passer. There's a reason Carlisle wasn't playing him up to this point. So Lamb's gonna have to step up in some way, whether that's shooting well from deep or stepping up on defense a little bit, something if he's gonna be the reliable replacement for Justin Holiday that the Pacers need him to be. Because if not, we might see more Tory Craig, we might see more Keelan Martin. Uh, to have to fill those voids. And those guys are both talented in, in their own ways, but not necessarily guys you would like to rely on if you're the Pacers. Speaking of Torrey Craig, right before the game, right before the game, probably 10 minutes before the game, the Pacers announced that he would be questionable to play with an illness. Uh, so I kind of waited around watching the team warm up, and he wasn't warming up. And then Craig came out of the tunnel about two minutes before the game started, and he was active. He played. Uh, he got in in the first quarter, played about four minutes. Those minutes went awful. The Pacers were minus 14 in those, 13 in those minutes, excuse me. And he didn't play the rest of the game. So clearly an illness hurting him as well. If he was healthy, maybe those minutes he's in don't go as poorly, or maybe he's able to play more of the game, and maybe the Pacers win this one. Another injury really hurting them in a game that they barely lost. Uh, tough sickness. This whole team has, it seems like, gone through some sort of variation of whatever this sickness is Scott Agnes tweeted during the game and said that Ronald Nora, the assistant coach, wasn't on the bench because he's also dealing with the sickness. So something going through this team, non-COVID illness, just to be clear, uh, as said in the uh, the team injury report for all these guys. So Craig only played a few minutes because he was sick. That also led to more minutes for Lamb and Martin. But also with him out, they needed to back up four. They went to O'Shea Brissett. Finally, by the way, I've been advocating for his playtime very often this season and they completely benched him. He was pretty bad uh, at times this season. It made sense to bench him. I'm not going to – I had no holes to poke with Rick Carlisle's decision to do that, which is why I never really pressed on it. But another good uh, performance for him, eight points. He had eight points in his last outing. Uh, they were plus three in his 18 minutes in this game. He had half his shots, hit two threes. Looking like the guy that was on the team last season, and we heard last week that O'Shea Brissett came in on Thanksgiving uh, with Keelan Martin to work with assistant coach Gennaro Pargo and get some shots up in the gym. So O'Shea clearly trying to get some work in and, and get a little better this season after a rocky shooting start and not playing as much. Perhaps Justin Holiday's injury could just be what he needs to cement a spot in the rotation. Um, but that, that's another thing that happened in this game that you don't expect going forward. You know, Craig could heal and be uh, more healthy by Friday, but just something to monitor. If Torrey Craig can't go again, you might see more O'Shea. And then the last injury here is TJ McConnell, who's been fighting this wrist injury for forever. Uh, in this game, it was bothering him to the point that he pe- played three minutes, put up no stats, minus five in those three minutes, and then didn't return with the wrist injury. Uh, if he can't go in the future, uh, you know, first of all, he was ineffective because of that. And th- if those five minutes go better, perhaps the Pacers win this game. So injuries really hurt the Pacers during and before this game even started. In his absence, Brad Wanamaker played early season. That would have been just an immediate death sentence for this team. He was absolutely terrible for the Pacers at the start of the year. To his credit, he was very good against Charlotte. I uh, got a lot of credit from Rick Carlisle that night. And tonight, again, he was okay. You know, he he was a guy that you could say, yep, if that's what we get every night from our backup point guard, that's fine. Brad Wanamaker in this game. Three of six, seven points plus three, four assists also. He was playing a very reliable backup point guard role in a way that he wasn't early this season. No turnovers. That was a big problem for him in his early appearances, right? So if we can get more, um, if, if <laughs> like pleasurable viewing from him because uh, that was really painful early in the season. I was I was not having a good time watching Brad Wanamaker. That would 
be very helpful for this team to if if McConnell has to miss some time, we could just all be be not going crazy watching Brad Wanamaker turn it over a million times. And that would really help this team seeing him out there. Uh, if, if if McConnell can't continue to play because if he can be good, that at least gives them a chance to have a competent bench in his absence. If he can uh, turns into the guy that he was early in the season, I just tripped over so many words my last couple sentences. It is very late. I apologize. If if he can be good like he was tonight going forward, you know maybe they won't miss McConnell for too long. Uh, they can get him back and it'll be okay. But you never know what you're going to get with Brad Wanamaker as we've seen earlier in the season. Again, in Charlotte, excellent game. Excellent game. 12 points. Uh, shot pretty well from the field. He was okay in other games this season in Toronto against Portland. You know, I remember him being okay in those games, but most of the time has been a very weak uh, performer. And he was better in this game. If he can be like that, that would be helpful. And I don't even know if McConnell is going to miss any time. We did not get any clarity from Carlisle on that after the game, mostly because there was a lot of other stories to tell and ask him about. Uh, but a lot of injury updates for this team. A lot of guys who could be playing more, you know, in a game like this, Right, where the Pacers bench was Jeremy Lamb, O'Shea Brissett, Brad Wanamaker, and Keelan Martin. A story of the game is why is that the Pacers bench? And another story is can those guys be good enough in this home stretch? Because they needed to do well in this homestand. They did not start off on the right foot, but injuries really derailed the rotation they wanted. And so many just little things went wrong in this game. Their clutch play has been weak. So they need to turn something around. I think that they're going to have potentially the most productive practice of the season tomorrow uh, before they play the Heat on Friday. So uh, we'll talk about that kind of stuff coming up. How can they beat the Heat? What can they turn around this season? More McConnell stories tomorrow. Alexa Ross uh, should come on the show. Uh, should be very fun. We're talking Pacers and she's from Philly, so TJ McConnell. So stick around and stay tuned for that. I think this team still is better than their record, but I'm starting to sound like a broken record for a 9-15 and 15 team, so we will see if that actually matters going forward. Thank you guys a ton for listening. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs>